Welcome to episode 239 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your host, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode, we preview State of Origin Game 3. We weigh in on the great To'o debate and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 239 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, are you pumped up for, well, State of Origin, Game 3, the decider is just around the corner. Are you pumped up for it? Yes, I am pumped up for the decider. Who is going to take it out? Who is going to win? Um, you know, Australia, you decide. Actually, no, that's that's more the election, right? But it doesn't matter. Yeah, but it's going to be an epic and the, the sides are in. A bit of controversy with some of the teams, a bit of controversy with eligibility. On top of that, you know, a wild weekend of wet weather football. Um, you know, we've got floods, we've got inflations, we've got wars. Anything and everything is happening in the world of rugby league, Dr. T. I'm super pumped. How about yourself and your end? Oh, look, absolutely. With everything that's happening in the world of rugby league and in the world in general, mm. uh, it all boils down to uh, whether Brian Tor has actually uh, usurped or, or challenged the rugby league eligibility mm. laws uh, or whether it's totally legit and within the confines of the laws, but yet somehow it's a media beat up. Who yeah. knows? Who knows what the case is? We're going to dive into that a bit more later. But no, look, it's really about State of Origin Game 3, the decider. I know we're a little bit early, but I think given that the sides have just been announced, we thought we'd uh, we'd do the big preview uh, and, and get it off our plate because we can't mm. wait for next Wednesday night. It's going to be a big one. It's going to be a beauty. It's it's going to be an epic showdown uh, at Suncorp Stadium, the the uh, the home. Would Some mm. people would say it's the home of State of Origin. Of, of rugby league, in fact, around the world. It is, uh, you know, it, the spiritual home of State of Origin, for sure, Suncorp Stadium. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, it's I'm looking forward to it. There's a lot to get to. Yeah, uh, and, and look, some, some rugby league potential wedding bells. Um, oh, as PVL, PVL has met in the recently widowed Queen Elizabeth II, uh, whose first husband happened to be Greek as well. <laughs> it's a meeting of the. It's another Greek family. Uh, it's a big fat Greek royal wedding. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Potentially. What do you think, Doctor T? This is unbelievable. Can... I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. PVL. He met. He met the Queen. I think it was only about a week or two ago. Um, he did try to slip in her, her thoughts on, um, you know, um, the six again rule and a couple of other, you know, key issues in rugby league. But all she wanted to do is talk about the horses. Um, <laughs> so, so does that mean all of our coins are not no longer going to have ER for <laughs> Elizabeth Regina or whatever? It's going to be PVL. Wow! Can you imagine the PVL coins? 
the PVL coins get ready. Wow. So on one yeah. side, on one side, it's a uh, it's a horse, and on the other side, it's a rugby league, uh, rug rugby league, as he as he calls it. Wow, that's interesting. I had yeah. no idea. This is uh, well, this has really perked me up, Tish, because uh, <laughs> this has added a royal flavour with uh, to to the episode today. Unbelievable. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Well, look, um, to be fair, look, uh, he is, uh, I think, also Racing New South Wales Chief Executive. So I don't think he went... Unfortunately, he didn't go and meet the Queen on the capacity of uh, of Rugby League, but more on his other role, the other job, you know, two jobs, Peter PBL um, for, for New South Wales Racing. But look, it's great to see Rugby League. Look, I, I, I do believe he did say that she, she, she definitely knows Rugby League and... Um, I think she said Sam Burgess. She might have actually. He, I think you mentioned that he, she knew, like Sam Burgess played, but you know she doesn't know that much. It was, but a lot more interest in 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 racing. But good to see the head of our game going to see one of the major heads of state in the world. I think that's a uh, tremendous. Oh, absolutely tremendous. Looking forward to those PVL coins. But <laughs> let's launch into our six tackles, and here we go with tackle number one, the round sixteen review. All right, round 16 of the NRL, obviously a crucial round because uh, there were some performances on the line, some positions in state of origin on the line, and look, some really weird uh, results. <laughs> so let's go through uh, so the game scores, and then we'll talk about our highlights. Manly Warringah Seagulls, 36, defeating the Melbourne Storm, 30. Newcastle wow. Knights, 38 over Gold Coast Titans, 12. The Penrith Panthers, 26-18 in a controversial game against the Sydney Roosters. The Sharks, 18-6 over the Bulldogs. The Cowboys, 40-26, defeating their Derby, Queensland Derby rivals, Brisbane Broncos. South Sydney Rabbitohs, 30, destroying the Parramatta Eels, 12. New Zealand Warriors, 22 in their first home game in uh, over three years, I guess. Three or so years, twenty-two to two, against the West Tigers, and the Dragons twelve in a tight one uh, over Canberra Raiders ten. Tish, there are quite a few highlights I think to talk about there. Let's mm. just start with, I guess the the you know we talked about this last week in one of our tackles, the New Zealand Warriors homecoming. Uh, mm. look, bad news if you're a Tigers fan yep. like yourself, but if you look at you know, the crowd officially was 26,009 at Mount Smart Stadium. It was a daytime game, uh, although I think over there it would be a kind of a twilight game, but it was 2 mm. p.m. Sydney time. Um, you know, they they performed well. Uh, they had the crowd behind them. It was a homecoming, uh, you know. Very, very interesting. And, and also interesting because the former Tigers coach... Uh, is the coach of the New Zealand Kiwis, uh, Michael Maguire. So that's that's quite interesting. Uh, but anyway, um, but anyway, that's that's the only connection I could think of there. But look, mm. not so much about the game, but really just about the occasion. The fact that they were welcomed by a bunch of fans there, and uh, they have done so much 
for rugby league by sacrificing, you know, home ground advantage over the course of this COVID pandemic and all the the various changes to the competition structure and where they were able to play and they ended up playing, I think, in a small paddock in Queensland. It was so it was so locked down that they could barely move. Um, they had to play in one stadium at one point. Uh, you know, every every team. So look, the New Zealand Warriors are the ones that sacrifice the, mo- the most out of everyone. And, and yeah, look, I, I guess my comment out of that, Tish, uh, I don't know what you think, but some people are, uh, uh, have been calling for, um, you know, other NRL teams to reciprocate and to maybe donate. I think Phil Gould actually in the media said, uh, you know, the other NRL teams next year should donate one of their uh, their home team, uh, home, uh, home games uh, and just go to New Zealand. Um, mm. You know, which which is a, a fair idea. Um, so, uh, sorry, even, who said that? Who said that? I think it was Phil Gould potentially. Mm. Okay, I'm mistaken. And Phil Gould has the power of the Bulldogs to lead by example, right? He does. And has he done that yet? I don't think he has. <laughs> but but in saying that, in saying that, I think he's. He, I think he was trying to act in his capacity as media agitator. To try and get some discussion going. <laughs> yep. But but look, it, it was. Look, it is a great point. idea. It is a great yeah. idea. And I think, to be fair, the NRL has already missed the boat. I feel by not announcing Magic Round to be there next year. Um, because I think that was uh, my point. Yeah, that was going to yeah. be my point. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and to be honest, that's essentially that if everybody donates a game, it, it actually ends up being, I suppose, a Magic Round, but forever, right? But yeah, look. I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It so just means that there will always be a home game, game in New Zealand. Yeah, in New Zealand, and and mm. look, and and maybe me, meaning that New Zealand Warriors players get to stay there a lot more than they would yep. normally. That's the other thing. Mm. But I think maybe there's potentially. I mean, I, I don't know. Are there other ways that we can honour uh, the the sacrifice that these players have made? You know, could we come up with another? Could there be like a little bit of a you know, some sort of a, a Warriors Cup or a Warriors kind of, I don't know, could we put a statue somewhere in a stadium mm. somewhere? Th- there must be some way that we can honour and remember uh, what what they've done because it's or, or something that represents what, what the players have done to sacrifice, you know. Uh, I don't know. It, it's just a thought. Um, I think the, the home game thing is, is good, but mm. I think we can do better. I think we can be more creative. Uh, look, w- does anyone out there have any ideas? Let us know. But Tish, yeah, what do you think? Any other creative ideas, ways that we can honour uh, and celebrate well, look, the Warriors? Yeah, well, look, you know, I think you brought it up. I think there needs to be something done. However we do it, you know, let's throw out some ideas. Um, you know, but, but I think it's really important that we do something because, like... Um, I know this week there's already been dramas with perhaps potentially uh, Reese Walsh moving back to Brisbane. And then, um, you know, like, you know, they've had so many players uh, leave their club before they even got to New Zealand, <laughs> right? Because they don't want to sort of shift over there. Um, but now it looks like, you know, they've, they've finally got back home. Um, they've got the crowd behind them. Um, you know, they played some really good football. I know the Tigers were atrocious. Right, you know, um, you know, they they could not kick the ball past the twenty meter line, and then couldn't back it up with a good kick chase. But the Warriors played well for for the whole eighty minutes, and I think it was a really good occasion. So, yeah, look, I think, uh, yeah, the, look, I think I like Phil Gould's idea, 
Um, but I think um, I think he does need to live by example, and I'd like to see other clubs uh, take follow suit. But I think it's something that they should uh, do. Um, as I said, Magic Round would be another one. Um, I don't know. Do we call it the ANZRL? And um, you know, <laughs> actually officially put New Zealand into the title of the NRL, perhaps because um, we do have one team in New Zealand that plays in the National Rugby League, um, which you know sort of is a bit weird. Um, if we sort of do it like that, you know, yeah, um, yeah, not, not sure. Like, you know, what else can we do? Can we have like, um, you know, the warrior round or something like that? Um, you know, um, well, uh, in light of, in light of the recent decision to kind of, uh, was it the NRL as well as, uh, this, the, I think the swimming or others have, have kind of called on, uh, the, uh, ban on trans athletes. Maybe we could go back to the trans Tasman cup, but have only trans players in the mm. Trans-Tasman Cup. How about that? Yeah, yeah. That way you can sort of deal with that issue as well at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's, that's an interesting idea. I think I think that could uh, that could work, you know. And I think um, – well, is um, New Zealand's got a team in the NRLW as well, right? So um, – <laughs> What are you suggesting? <laughs> well, <laughs> intergender Rugby League. That's a know? great idea. Actually, yeah, that's a mixed – why not just have a, an open – an open uh, category. <clears throat> yeah, well, you know, you know like you have know, mixed doubles in tennis. Why not have mixed teams? That's a good yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the thing is, like, I know different sports have different debates about all these sorts of issues, right? But really, you know, you've seen the standard of women's rugby league go up, and um, you know, when you're talking about, um, I don't, I don't think, I think. I don't think we're that far away from that quality being the same as the men's. And I don't think, I mean, people talk about the physicality and stuff of this, but then when you talk about trans athletes, you know, I think rugby league can embrace that. That's well off topic about what happened in round 16. So (laughs) (laughs) that's right. right. Yeah. This was about the Warriors and the Tigers, but anyway, yeah, yeah, but but I think that was a highlight, but I think, I think, uh, you know, the, the manly uh, victory over Melbourne is uh, to me a bit of a, a highlight as well. Just yeah. um, the the real thing about this game is that I actually don't think Manly played that well. Actually, um, they I, th- I think they only had like twenty percent um, like possession rate in the first ten minutes. They like, they're dropping the ball left, right, and center, but they still managed to beat Melbourne. And they were they were with ten minutes to go. Um, they were leading by about four, like at least four tries, and then somehow Melbourne scored four tries in like the last. Um, you know, five six minutes or something. Yeah, five it? six minutes. Yeah. Couldn't kick a goal. <laughs> um, you know, but then <laughs> yeah, it ended up being thirty six thirty. Yeah, it was it was bizarre, right? I thought, man, like I don't know, like Manly looked. I mean, Melbourne. Firstly, Melbourne. I think you could kind of put a line through them in terms of premiership winners this year. I think they're just um, they're, they're missing something. Yeah, I, I know Cameron Munster was missing, but I don't think he's that. Uh, I don't think they should play that poorly um, without him there. I, I, I do get it. This is sort of, you know, in the middle of the season. It's kind of like the the representative season. They had a lot of players out, but I don't, yeah, like I think the way just how good Penrith are going versus how good are Melbourne are going, I feel like there's a difference between the two sides. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Let's let's see what that looks like because I think Munster not being there maybe played played a bit of a part. But um, mm. but yeah, look, am I obviously my other well, not really highlight, but comment <laughs> commented com commentable is that even a word? Yeah, you know, game. 
the Rabbitohs and the Eels, my goodness. Uh, look, I've got a rant coming up, so I'll, I'll let, save mm. it for that. But, um, you know, South's the way they've been playing. I think Parramatta would be entitled – well, the fans would be entitled to think that we should have won this one quite easily. But, uh, you know, even with Latrell Mitchell coming back, and he did sort mm. of put together a very good passage of play there and, and sort of – I think he, uh, he palmed off um, – Read Marnie very easily at one point, so that was really interesting. But uh, look, yeah, the Eels are so inconsistent, hard to predict what they're doing. The Roosters had a good game against the Panthers, but at the end of the day, the Panthers uh, put them away uh, in some with some refereeing controversy. Jared Sutton, in fact, uh, so much so, just to show you the power of the Rooster, um, <laughs> so much power they have that Jared Sutton has been dropped for uh, refereeing games this weekend, I believe. I think that's the latest news that I saw today. So correct me if I'm wrong, but, yeah, that's what I saw. Very, very interesting. I think he's been dropped to the uh, video referee. Oh, okay, which which is still dropped. I mean, it means he's not Mm. out there. He's he's now in the bunker, so... Yeah, he doesn't have to run around in the rain, so... You can give six agains willy nilly. He's <laughs> got a button, the six again button, right? You just keep pressing the button. It's like, why? What's happening with the six again? And you see Jared Sutton with a martini glass, mm. sipping, you know, having some olives and grapes or whatever. Just pressing the button, saying, "There you go, peasant." Yeah. Six again, six yeah. again. It, it is. It is okay. Look, Gerald Sutton. He's a bit of a funny coach. Let's 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 be fair, right? There there are games where. He, you forget that he's even on the field because he has no whistle, right? Then there are other games where it just constantly doesn't stop. Have you noticed that? It's all one or the other with him. So I, I don't, I don't know <laughs> what it is. He just seems to get on a roll, right? And uh, it just goes crazy. So, and unfortunately, I think this was a game a bit like that, right? You know, like the Roosters were playing hard, um, and then um, yeah. So I'm not too sure the whole situation with Gerald, uh, Jared Sutton, but uh, yeah. Um, it was a close game, and then, uh, but I think penalties might have ruined it. Uh, any other thoughts about round 16, Dr. C? No, I think we've got to go to the big one. We've got to go to State of Origin, the preview. So let's go to tackle number two, State of Origin three, the decider preview. Here we go. The big game is upon us, State of Origin Game 3. It is tied. The series is tied one game apiece. And the Blues going into Game 3 on the high of a very, very big scoreline against uh, the Maroons in Perth. And uh, look, at the end of the day, the Blues ended up making only a few minor changes out of necessity. Uh, and uh, the Maroons also a few minor changes out of necessity despite being flogged in that second game. So, look, from the Blues side, we've got uh, the squad. Well, the back line remains the same. Tedesco, To'o, Burton, Crichton, Tupo, Luai, and Cleary. The forwards, however, we have a few changes, um, and I think the changes are due to – well, one change is due to Paint Haas being injured. And Jordan McLean comes in at prop number eight. Uh, I think he's one of the oldest debutants in State of Origin history. He's, he's about 30 years of age. Um, at number nine, Coruscant, uh, 10, Trebojevic. 
Murray and Martin in the second row, Yo at lock, and on the bench we've got Damian Cook, Angus Crichton, Junior Paulo, and CSC for Talakai. Uh, the controversy here, Tish, is uh, what was Brad Fittler going to do with Jack Whiten, who had just completed his COVID uh, isolation period? Uh, coming back into this squad, what was he going to do with Jack Wyden? Best player in New South Wales in game one. Well, he's decided to leave him out altogether. He's decided mm. to put his loyalty into Stephen Crichton, who had a bit of a poor game, I think, in uh, – well, definitely uh, – yeah, well, could you say a poor game in game one, I guess? But uh, he didn't play much. But didn't really set the world on fire in game two, although Brett, Matt Burton – uh, you know, really look solidified and his uh, his position in left center there, uh, with a humongous kicking game and also a really good rapport with the rest of the his former Panthers teammates, with uh, especially with one particular try where he combined very well with Nathan Cleary. Um, Obviously, showing Brad Fittler that he he wanted to retain the the squad that did the job and did it very well. Crichton probably not the you know not the most impressive of the centres. So there was a question whether Crichton was going to be dropped to the bench. Uh, what was Freddie going to do? But at the end of the day, Freddie's gone for Cook, Angus Crichton, Junior Paulo, and Talakai on the bench. So Talakai as well. Um, he's opted to stick with Talakai, even though Talakai only had a few minutes. Um, what are your thoughts, Jack Whiten, uh, out of the squad altogether, or out of the the uh, starting lineup and the interchange bench? What do you think? Well, they've called Jack Whiten unlucky, and you know, in many ways, he he is right. You know, if he um, hadn't got COVID, um, hadn't had to isolate, he would have um, he would have been in, in game two. And then, um, you know, his replacement just happens to have an absolute blinder, right? Yeah. You know, um, so the question, yeah, I did think I did think that they would go for Whiten and Crichton. Um, sorry, Whiten and Burton. Um, but, yeah, they've, they're stuck with, I suppose, the, the formula for game two. And and to be fair, look, in, in, under normal, normal circumstances, if your team had had such a great victory in, in a game, you know, of the level that New South Wales had, you would expect the same team to play, uh, barring any injuries. So, yeah, so, look, I think I think Brad's going to do what he's going to do. Obviously, the decider will tell whether he's made the right decision. Um, I think either way, it looks like a strong squad. And Stephen Crichton, I think this is the real pressure moment for him now, I suppose, because he's had... Um, you know, his, this is his, you know, third game of the the, the series... Um, the first game, as you said, he wasn't probably, you know, it wasn't an outstanding performance, but I don't think it was a poor performance either. I think both games you could say the same thing. He was there, right? Um, uh, you know, <laughs> he was definitely there. He was definitely, he was definitely there. there. Did he, you know, like, you know, was there anything memorable that he did? Not really, right? So, um, so maybe now, though, that, uh, you know, maybe this might encourage him to have, have an absolutely great game. And then, you know, Whiten will just have to wait until, you know, there is a, an injury or or opportunity for him to get back into the squad. I think that's unfortunately the situation that Whiten finds himself. Uh, Jordan McLean was a bit of a surprise one, actually, when he came into the squad last uh, time round. And 
Uh, now with this injury to Payne Haas, they didn't go back to, um, uh, you know, they didn't go back to to some of the other players that, that we thought, like I think Taifidi is in the squad now, but, you know, he played last year, but he's sort of been, you know, hasn't got that position that um, McLean has gotten. So I well, feel like... Of... to the Parramatta players. Yeah, 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 the Parramatta. Well, even Junior Paulo, like, you know, I thought that you'd move Junior Paulo into the forward pack and have McLean off the bench, but, you know, he's opted to stick with um, stick with Paulo on the bench. So it's a real interesting one, while, you know, the strategy behind that. I'm not, not 100% sure what's going on there, but I think that, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, because Payne House is a big loss, just with his go forward, um, you know, um, you know, running over 100 meters, uh, I haven't seen enough of Jordan McLean this year to f- figure out whether he's going to be that same sort of option. But yeah, very interesting. Um, there is a change with Queensland as well. Well, one change that I know of, which Felice Kafusi, because of family reasons, is out. Um, so I think they've got Nanai um, taking his. L- spot let me read out the squad. So yeah. So yeah, we've got Ponga, uh, we've got Cobo and T- Murray Talagi on the wings. Valentine Holmes and Deke Gay Guy in the centres. Cherry Evans and sorry Munster and Cherry Evans, and then in the forwards, this is where the changes are. Tino at lock, Nanai and Capel in the second row. Obviously, Nanai coming in directly for Felicia Kafusi. Uh, in the forwards, we've got Lindsay Collins and Josh Papali, and Ben Hunt at number nine. I think that's what it was. Was Lindsay Collins there at number eight potentially in game two? I don't, I don't remember, but. Um, and on the bench, they've got Harry Grant, Jai Arrow, Patrick Carrigan, and Tom Gilbert. Uh, with uh, rounding out the rest of the squad, Thomas Flegler, Thomas Dearden, Bo Fermor, Hamiso Tabuai Fido, and Sam Walker at number 22, obviously uh, for exposure, uh, you know, development kind of uh, reasons. Um, yeah, look, uh, they lose a lot without Kafusi there, obviously. Mm. Uh, Nanai didn't really impress. In fact, made a, a, a bit of a blunder when he when he got there in game one. I think he also, or was it game two, and also had a bit of a um, controversy where it seemed like he feigned a bit of a, an ankle injury <laughs> and then came back on, you know. So, that, like, look, at the end of the day, it, it's the Blues uh, with their forward pack Trebojevic was the key reason why, mm. uh, you know, he was built for origin. We said it from game one. Yeah. Luckily, Freddie rectified it in game two, and the results were very, very evident. Jake Trebojevic was absolutely a leader on, on the field there in the forwards, um, allowed everyone else to do their job as well. And obviously the backs really um, did the job as well with Matt Burton mm. there, adding that extra kind of flourish. Um I, you know, Jordan McLean, I don't know what he brings uh, apart from kind of stability and good hard go forward. And, and that's kind of what you need. That's what you need, those kind of players. So, uh, so yeah, Tish, you were talking about the Queensland squad. Uh, do you think they change much with this cha- uh, Nanai coming in for Kafusi? Well, I think they lose a ton of experience, right? Um, and they probably lose that, as you said, like the reliability now with somebody who is a bit unproven. Um, so that is there. But look, I think with Queensland, you know, the Suncorp stadium factor is also huge, right? So even though New South Wales won by so much, um, we know that Queensland play at a different level uh, when they're playing at Lane Park. Um, you know, so it, it is going to be interesting. But I just think with Queensland, like, you know, you sort of look at the two teams now and you realise, you know, New South Wales has got the upper hand 
particularly when it comes to experience and, you know, big game, big match experience type thing. And then, you know, you sort of wonder how the likes of, you know, sort of, you know, Kobo and Tuolagi and Nanai, um, you know, how are these guys going to go in this in this whole situation? Even Carrigan, like they've all played well throughout the, the whole season, um, you know, the whole series. Um, but I think I think they're they're a bit vulnerable when it comes to that. So, but you know, this is the time and moment where you don't want to rule them out. And uh, yeah, look, I'm glad you've 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 mentioned, um, you know, uh, Jerbo, uh, Jake Jerboy as a bit of a leader. And you know, if you know, I think I think this is where um, you know, if you think about it, James Tedesco. You know he is rightly the fullback, also the captain, but he's also playing at fullback, right? So the communication factor um, might not be there when you've got your fullback in, you know, sort of, you know, as captain. But I think I think Jake, uh, as well as Nathan, I think they bring the direction to the team, both in attack and in defense. Probably Jake with defense, and I think that's um, it's going to be real key, I think, in game two. So. Look, we're really looking forward to it. I don't, yeah. Look, I think let's take the controversy out of it. Look, yeah, but you can't really fault Brad Fittler for for not uh, for for sticking with the team that that did the business, um, you know, in game two. So let's, you know, let's, uh, you know, onwards and upwards. I feel to a New South Wales victory. Absolutely, and look. Uh... Before we close this off, look, obviously, I think we're both predicting a Blues victory. I think, uh, the, I guess the question here is, you know, when you look at how well the Blues played in game two and it ended up being a, a, an avalanche on the scoreboard, whereas, uh, you know, in game one, it was the reverse and yet it was only a six-point game. <laughs> one wonders whether Suncorp Stadium, how much of a levelling factor is that going to be in mm. the decider? The the key stat here, Tish, if I can sway you, is that the last five deciders that were, have been played at Suncorp Stadium have all been won by Queensland. Does that change wow. your mind? No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure? I know. yeah, look, I, I just think New South Wales was so dominant in game two um, that I think that they... They have the goods to take it out for 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 this game. Yeah, absolutely, and and I I tend to agree. I think that there's got so much going for them. I don't expect the Blues to play probably as well as in game two, but I don't expect um I don't expect that to matter too much. I think on the scoreboard they've just got uh, you know firepower everywhere. Uh, They've got the key things there that were gaps in game one and Jake Trebojevic there. They've got a centre pairing now, especially with Matt Burton, that gives Cleary extra kicking options that he's never really had before. Um, you've got, you know, as I said, Trebojevic up front. And and the other thing is the bench. The bench of Cook, Angus Crichton, Junior Paula and Talakai, that's a pretty strong bench. And I think, as I, as I mentioned, uh, I think... Having Cook there is akin to saying, you know, as soon as we need some momentum, he comes on for Coruscant. And what he did in game two, I think, was game changing. And I think uh, no one has talked about it in the media. Mm. However, when I've watched the game, watched it again, uh, the minute he comes on, there's the whole team lifts. Um, and this is not even, you know, this is not even related to that that uh, sin bin uh, with, with Queensland and being a man down. This is really just about the way Cook plays and the speed in the middle, capitalising on the forward. So I think 
all of the elements, put them all together. I think the Blues, a comfortable victory. So I'm looking forward to them winning the Shield in enemy territory. So there you go. Here we Tish. go. Can't wait. <laughs> all right. Um, let's move on to tackle number three, and it's an eligibility debate. Here we go. All right, so Blues star Brian To'o has uh, decided to represent Samoa over Australia at the Rugby League World Cup later this year. And this has sparked a fierce debate in the media and online around international eligibility. Um, he has come out saying that he will be playing for my family, quote, at the tournament in October. Now, this has caused a lot of uh, people online to, uh, to you know, uh, clutch at their pearls at uh, <laughs> at, at the the uh, the decision that Brian Toa has made to to uh, play Origin whilst whilst also pledging his allegiance to a different country. Um, I think there's a few things that we need to keep in mind. That uh, I think, look, it, what he's done is absolutely not new at all. He's able to play for a second tier or what, what they call a tier two nation, which is what Samoa is, despite the fact that he's also eligible for state of origin technically. Um, so that's one thing in terms of, you know, is he eligible? Is it the, you know, is he well within his rights to do it? Yes. So I think there's no debate there. I think what's happening is a lot of people are deciding to, um, you know, have concerns about divided loyalty. And I think Tish, you know, one thing I need to say, and I think you would agree, is that, you know, this is an example of where people who are full on the side of, you know, disagreeing with Brian Toll and saying that he, you know, only Australian players who are eligible for the Kangaroos should play for State of Origin are missing the key point, which is, you know, we've, we're living in uh, a, a very multicultural society in Australia. A lot of people... A lot of players now, a lot of NRL players, uh, children of immigrants, and in, inevitably there's going to be a clash between the country with which they were born and raised, Australia, versus the country of their heritage, wherever that may be. Happens to be that you know over fifty percent of the NRL players are from the Pacific Islands in some form, and so this is in, inevitable that this is going to be an issue that is faced by the NRL and maybe not so much by other footballing codes in Australia. And I think, um, yeah, Tisha, my view is, look at its most basic level. I think it's a it's a story of of immigrant children or children of immigrants, sorry. Um, and and I think, you know, the fact that it's, uh, you know, so look, let's take it from that perspective. Tish, you know, do you support Toa's decision? What is your view as a child of immigrants as well, uh, as most people are, you know, mm. the, a lot of people, well, not most, but a lot of people are in, uh, in Australia. You know, this is a no-brainer that this was eventually going to come up. But Tish, what's your view on that? Well, I think... Um you know, in the last census, right, the the number of people that um, are either born overseas um, or uh, have parents that are born overseas, I think it ends up being actually more than 50%. I want to say it's in the 60% range. I can't remember the actual percentage, right? Um, 
So I think that is, yeah, so, so I think when we talk about how society has changed, very different to how Australia was in 1980 when the whole state of origin concept began with. Um, I think it's important to go, okay, so Brian Toho, um, he uh, wants to play for Samoa, which is a Tier 2 nation, according to the IRL, the International Rugby League um, commi- uh, you know, organization. And then so, you know, he is not breaking any rules by saying he wants to play for Samoa. He doesn't even need to come out and say it, really, till after the State of Origin series is over. Um, so, look, he's done nothing wrong. So I don't think we should, um, like at the moment, there's nothing there, right? I think where the debate is is whether Samoa and Tonga, these two nations specifically, just because of how well they've been playing, whether because I think in December the the, the this year they're actually going to uh, look at at least Tonga's eligibility as a tier two and pr- put them in, into a tier one nation. Um, and if they do do that, then therefore Tongan players won't be able to play for State of Origin. So that's when we probably have to then actually have this debate then on whether tier ones should be allowed to be represented. So, which, yeah, which I don't know. I mean, it's a very complex issue, right? Because, um, uh, you know, but I think at the end of the day, like, you know, New South Wales versus Queensland, it is called state of origin. Um, so you've got to have some sort of allegiance to the state that you're representing. Um, but I think that if you are, uh, you know, if you are eligible for, um, you know, some of these tier two nations, I think we need to strengthen rugby league internationally, and I think the state of origin level players playing for their tier two nations helps the game overall. And you know, forget society at the moment. Let's just put all that aside. Forget like you know the rules and being a stickler for the rules and all that kind of stuff. Let's look at what's good for rugby league, right? And I think what's good for rugby league is having a strong international season and having a strong state of origin series and for that you want to have the best players that are eligible playing in both those competitions and in my opinion it is great that Brian Toher can play for New South Wales and play for Samoa because it means that we've got a great player that can play for two teams and strengthen both teams that's my thoughts and um, to be honest it's not really a big change it's what sky blue to Samoan blue it's not really that big of a change is it? <laughs> not really, and it's not really about the color either. Like, let's be fair. Yeah, um, yeah. But look, look, Tish, that's all well and good, and I completely agree. And it's an interesting debate. And but I couldn't help thinking during the week as I'm reading about all this and seeing all the uh, the the uh, the keyboard anger online <laughs> with people just getting really irate about this and and annoyed and uh, you know raising all sorts of things uh, to the point where. You know, there were there were some questions about well, you know, you know, why are they allowed to do it? Why there's there's potentially some kind of, uh, you know, people referring to the fact that it's it's allowed for some Pacific Islander boys and not others, etc. Uh, look, I just dismiss all of that. If you ever see that online, I would say dismiss it straight away because uh, oh, and one argument that I saw was so so what do we do? Do we go back to uh, an, an Australian player playing for England because from five generations ago they came from England. <laughs> to which I say, well, if that's in the rules, that's okay. But it's not in the rules, is it? So there, there, there is a limit within the rules. I think there's a grandparent rule, and that's it. It's not a great grandparent rule, but 
But look at it this way, people, uh, sometimes it's good to actually bring receipts to a conversation. And one example, if, if anyone out there ever wants to throw that uh, argument out there, Chris Hyington played for country New South Wales, didn't quite make New South Wales, I believe, but but probably was eligible for playing for New South Wales. Obviously, Chris Hyington, we all know him from the Tigers and Sharks, etc. And who did he play for in 2017, the 2017 World Cup? He played for England because his father had come out here to Australia when he was like 14 or 15. So he was eligible to play for England. Now, Tish, do you remember a a protracted media controversy over Chris Hyington's eligibility and the fact that he was disloyal to Australia. Did you remember that at all back in mm. 2017? Well, I, I might have recall. Oh, no, that was Julian Assange. No, no, no. Cannot remember <laughs> Chris Hyington. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, it was it was uh, Donald Trump. It was Trump. yeah. No, look, um, no, no, I don't remember it, and I think not many people would. So it got me thinking: Why is this a controversy now? We've known all along that both Luai and Toa would would play for Samoa. We've known this all along, and yet just ahead of Game Three, it becomes a media controversy. So, Tish, I'm going to throw this out there that I think this whole thing, not only is it a media beat-up, it's a media beat-up instigated by the Queensland Maroons to get to psych out the the New South Wales players, such as Brian Toll and others, to distract them from preparing for Game 3, the decider, because I can't see any reason why this would be an issue now when we've known all along that both both Brian and Jerome would play for Samoa at the end of the year in the World Cup. We also know that they're unlikely to be selected. I mean, Lua is unlikely to be selected ahead of Cameron Munster as a kangaroo, even if he was eligible, which he is. So what, yeah, so it all comes down to me thinking, well, what is happening? Why is this happening now? And in my mind, Tish, it is Queensland pulling a fast one over New South Wales Blues fans, causing a media controversy. Um, mm. Because once again, if this issue comes up, not once has anyone mentioned the issue, the three players that um, that that kind of destroy any Queenslander's argument against this, which is Greg Inglis, number one, <laughs> number two, Tony Carroll, and number three, Brad Thorne. You know, both of those players, the last two anyway, played for New Zealand. Brad Dorn, in Brad Dawn's case, not only did he play for New Zealand and Australia, he played for both of them in both codes, rugby league and rugby union. Yeah. So what? And, and you know, both of them would be considered tier one nations in both uh, both codes. So look, I think this is all a storm, Melbourne storm in a teacup. But wow. look, it no, maybe not Melbourne Storm, but definitely a Queensland conspiracy is what I'm predicting. We'll find out at the end of the season that that someone, not mentioning names, has decided to kick off a story in the media, kick off the controversy and get people annoyed and distracted. Most importantly, distracted from the job at hand that the Blues need to get into uh, to win the decider. Tish... Have I gone too far in predicting that this is a Queensland 
conspiracy. Yeah, well, I think I think you might have <laughs> hit the nail on the head because <laughs> I remember before game two there was this um, news outlet that um, Liam Martin was the most hated player in Queensland because of him being like super grubby. <laughs> <laughs> And then everybody's like, Liam Martin Grubby, he's like, not really at all. Like, he's like, kind of just a, a like a hardworking forward, right? Like, you know. Um, so, so now they're trying with the eligibility and, um, uh, you know, and look, Tohol and um, Luai, you know, they've, you know, they're open, they're honest. I mean, Toho has come out. Uh, I don't know if Jerome Luai has come out, but I think we all believe that he's going to play for Samoa. Um, you know, uh, the next person that I've got to ask is that, you know, the last, um, you know, big Tino surname, <laughs> right? Um, you know, uh, he is playing for Queensland this week. Number 13, do you think he's going to be playing for Australia or do you think he's going to be playing for Samoa in the World Cup? Um, you know, Josh Papalihi, he played for Samoa in the World Cup last time round, right? That's two players in the Maroons camp, right? That are playing for Queensland this season who are more than likely going to play for Samoa in the World Cup, right? And, um, you know, I think Junior Polo, and look, I know there's been a big... Uh, apologies if we've got any of the name pronunciations wrong because I know it is something that we are trying to correct. But, you know, th- there is there is a whole bunch of players that are going to play for Samoa. And this has been going on since the start of the state of origin really there's been a few players i mean like you know we've had that we had the adrian lamb thing with png a few years ago too so i, th- I think that we should just all um <laughs> yeah i, I think Too it's loud. just it, yeah it, it only ever arises during state of origin doesn't it it's not something i mean in december time when they do actually go through the eligibility rules I don't think it's going to be a big of issue in December as what it is now. Even though December is a time when they actually figure out when the what the eligibility rules for the for the upcoming um, you know international and, and like representative seasons are going to be. So, um, but look, Samoa, I got to say, um, you know, putting all these state of origin caliber players into their squad, they were a pretty good squad without these players. Adding these players in, I mean. You could certainly see them, you know, rattling the big teams in the uh, in the World Cup, which I think is almost as exciting as the decider coming up this weekend. I mean, absolutely. So, yep. All right. Look, let's move on to tackle number four, and I've I've uh, I've got a bit of a rant coming up against Parramatta. So here we go. Tackle number four. So, look, tackle number four. Look, this, you know, if you're expecting a bunch of stats and a logical argument from me uh, about what's happening to Parramatta, you're not going to get it in the next couple of minutes. What you're going to get is a, a purely emotional plea for someone to do something about my beloved Parramatta Eels because <laughs> I can't take it anymore, Tish. It's really frustrating. Uh, again, I'm not putting stats up there. It's it's just about look how how could a Parramatta fan continue this year, knowing that we have the capability of beating, you know, we have the wood on the current premiers and uh, and front runners for the premiership, the Penrith Panthers. We have found a way to defeat them 
multi on multiple occasions. Uh, we've also found a way to defeat the other, you know, contender for the crown, the Melbourne Storm, uh, who, you know, has been so – a team that's been so clinical this year up until recently, of course. Uh, but, look, they've been very uh, – you know, they've been up there with the Panthers – as, as one of the most dangerous sides. You certainly don't want to go up against a Melbourne Storm team that's even, you know, at 50% capable of doing what they can do. They will destroy you. And and yet somehow the Parramatta Eels have managed to defeat them, you know, in the last few years, almost on a regular basis. So, um, you know, it's almost at the point where it isn't, it isn't an automatic Storm tip if you're a Parramatta Eel fan going up against them, you probably think you're in with a 50-50 chance, if not a bit greater than that. But then you compare that to what else we've done this year and how inconsistent we've been, uh, you know, losing to uh, – not just losing, but get really getting flogged by the Bulldogs uh, when they were at their lowest, um, <laughs> getting beaten by the Tigers, uh, their first win of the season – uh, that that gave uh, Michael McGuire a bit of a reprieve uh, before eventually he got sacked as well. And and look, you know, you kind of look at this and you sort of think, well, how could a Parramatta Eels fan continue knowing that we are so inconsistent? And we, what's is there a light at the end of the tunnel? And and as I've said to you before. Questions should be uh, asked of Brad Arthur and his ability to get us to that next level. For the last few years here, Tish, I have been in my crystal ball, has been predicting the Eels to win a premiership because there's always a promise. They've got some promising signs of improving year on year, and it never eventuates. It's it's it seems like if anything that we we've been doomed to you know make maybe even not make the top four this year, uh, whereas we've at least been top four regulars for a few years. And I know what you're thinking: how could you how could you make uh, you know how could you question the the coach of a regular top four team? And look, Tish, I guess the fact is Parramatta Eels have been used to you know, success in the 80s and it went nowhere and they've been continually trying to chase that win, that elusive, you know, former glory mm. uh, and have failed every single time. There was a time when we, we the, the big uh, Super League kind of um, uh, squad change of uh, the four big Canterbury players that came across to Parramatta mm. and even they couldn't get us there. They got us close. I think in 2001, uh, they got us to a grand final, but but Andrew Johns' team defeated us. And and look, um, at the end of the day, it, it all boils down to, you know, the results. And the Eels are not getting results at the moment. And I think the fans are really sick of supporting this team, knowing that uh, they're, not, they're not playing to their capability. And look, Tish, uh, I know it says I know it's, it's supposed to be my rant, but I also do want to throw a question out there, which is, what what is going on with the team? Is it that Brad Arthur can't motivate his players to play at their best when they're playing the 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 lower squads? Um, is that an issue, and is that a problem? Because look, 
if they're able to defeat all top four teams, then that that's pretty good going into a semi-finals because that's all you're going to have is the top teams. But is that enough? I mean, can you trust that the players are going to lift in those big games? Uh, it's too much Jekyll and Hyde, Tish, and that's the problem mm. here. That's the problem. So, look, we've seen this before in other teams, and I guess the, the thing is what's the, uh, what's the solution? Um, is it that Brad Arthur needs to be sacked and, and someone else brought in who's able to bring the best out of the players consistently. And I've said this all along that a Brad Arthur and, you know, Michael Maguire straight swap <laughs> could have actually done wonders for the Tigers because I think they need oh, someone yeah. like a Brad Arthur to develop yeah. that squad. And, and we'll take we'll take uh, Jake Arthur too as halfback. <laughs> you need someone, don't you? We, need, we do, we do. We need young guns. <laughs> But look, yeah, and look, and that's the thing. Look, that's when when people call for a coach to be sacked. I think I think we need to put these things in perspective. It isn't that necessarily that that particular coach has failed completely. It's often that there's not a uh, the the fit isn't right for where that squad is at the moment. And and as we've said before, like I, one of my favourite coaches of all time is Brian Smith, and I think Brian Smith was unfairly. Uh, you know, judged against other coaches who had much stronger squads and were able to win premierships over his team of ragtag, you know, uh, also Rands. And and he managed to bring together teams and under a system, get them performing to the best of their ability. And that best of their ability almost got him a few premierships. Not quite, yes, but look, who could ever who now which coach now could could defeat the might of Wayne Bennett's Broncos of 92 and 93 i don't think anyone would come close so Brian Smith got close though in 93 and so look that this and this is what i'm saying it's not just about the coach it's also about the way decisions are made in the club and so i think uh, i think there's some questions that have been asked about you know what what pressure is being put on Brad Arthur to, to do something about the poor performances, um, uh, you know, by, by the uh, by the organisation, uh, are the the chief executive, etc., are they doing anything to uh, to allay the fears of fans that this is just going to be another write off of a year? Um, and again, I don't think I'm being too negative. I think I've seen a lot worse online mm. uh, of of true blue Parramatta Eels fans. Um, you know, railing against the current uh, situation and the coach in particular, um, and also the players. Let me, let's be fair. A lot of people have really ripped into the players and said, "Look, it, you're making the coach seem to be the scapegoat, but it's actually you guys need to lift. You guys need to play together as a team and not, um, you know, and, and and understand that it's your job to do that in every game." And but then I can see the other side, which is well, that's a coach's job to get them fired up and ready and motivated. So, you know, there's multiple ways to look at this. But Tish, I guess it all boils down to, uh, you know, what what other options do we have as long-suffering Eels fans? Um, you, if you blame the coach, you're 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 deemed as not a true fan. If you don't blame the coach, you're deemed as deluded, as a deluded uh, one blue eye, one gold eye, you know, uh, fan. And so you can't win either way as a fan. And uh, unfortunately, it seems neither can the Eels. (laughs) They they can't win either way. So, look, uh, yeah, very, 
look, no, again, no, no stats here. I'm not, I'm not here to say, look, Brad Arthur's got this winning percentage and therefore he should stay. It is all about the feels at the moment. It's all about representing the anger of Parramatta Eels fans. What can be done? A lot of people are calling for Brad Arthur to be sacked. Um, Potentially, it's not a good move to do this as we're heading into the finals, as we've seen happen to other squads where, um, you know, teams have changed, chopped and changed prematurely. Um, But I do certainly think that, you know, if nothing else, I think Brad Arthur, this has to be his final year. If he can't win a premiership, if he can't do something to turn them around, um, he has to be gone. And I think that's where I'm landing on this, if nothing else. Uh, he needs to be given that chance to see out the season. But I think he's had way too many chances and the window of opportunity is fast closing for Eels uh, fans because a lot of the good players, Reed Marnie, et cetera, are leaving at the end of the year. Mm. And so there's going to be another, uh, you know, another excuse about we're in a rebuilding phase next year <laughs> because they, they'll have a few gaps to fill. But that's why I think Brad Arthur, the pressure is on him to deliver. Uh, he's got to turn it around. He's got to motivate them to fire up. Um, and their performance against Souths most recently just sort of, again, reiterated to to Eels fans that this is, uh, you know, it's tough times ahead. And look, next weekend we've got, uh, I think, Clint Gutherson's 150th game, I believe, in the NRL. So it's a bit of a landmark milestone occasion. But, of course, what happened last time we had a milestone occasion uh, in, uh, I think it was earlier in the year, was it Nathan Brown or, you know, the, every time it seems we have a particular milestone game, they actually fall flat. So, oh, wow. mm. so yeah, that's, that's kind of a, well, actually it was the 75th. That's right. It was the 75th anniversary. <laughs> Remember <laughs> we were talking eels, about that yeah, yeah. of the Eels and mm. uh, it didn't quite land, did it? They, they had all the, the former greats there. And uh, was that the that was the Tigers game, wasn't it? That was, which is um, where he's because Tigers are playing uh, the Eels this weekend, right? So, um, which is oh, kind is of it, timely. Is that right? Is it the Tigers and Eels again? Oh, that's yeah, it right. Is. At that Leica. light cut oval. Oh goodness mm. me! Wow, so, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the the Tigers couldn't score against the Warriors, so a try. So, so rest assured, Doctor T. I think I think this weekend <laughs> get to, they could turn around. That's very but, kind of you to say. <laughs> but look, I think Brad Arthur is falling, unfortunately, in the Mary McGregor category, right, of coach sacking likelihood, right? Which is, if you think about it, like, you know, um, you know, McGregor, um, he, Paul McGregor, he was a coach of the Dragons for a long time. They did sort of make it to the finals. I mean, probably not as prolific as what the Eels have been doing in this current season, but they were... You know, for the first 12 games of every every year, they were, like, on top of the ladder, right? Unbeatable, right? Yeah. Then they have a mid-season slump, and then they struggle to make the eight, right? And that was kind of the pattern, and it just kept on going, you know, for years until the Dragons decided to actually part ways. And, and now I suppose the Dragons are sort of in the top eight at the moment, and, you know, and we're sort of seeing that happen. But you just saw that, you know, Paul McGregor, he was able to take the Dragons from the doldrums and sort of get them into a top eight contention, but he wasn't able to go further. And I think we're starting to see that a little bit with Brad Arthur. You know, know, took the Eels to – the Eels were in a horrible position when he started, right? They were sort of 
finishing wooden spoon more times than not sort of thing. And, you know, he's sort of built the team to a certain level. But you're right. Like, the question now is becoming, can he take it to the next level? And maybe we're seeing signs where he can't do that. The wheels are kind of falling off of Parramatta um, because they are losing players next year. Um, you know, Reid Marnie is going away. I think uh, Papa Leahy is going away. I think Dylan Brown might be going away too, right? Like, so so, so they're starting to lose. Oh God, I hope not. <laughs> yeah. Starting to lose quite a lot of. Oh, that's good. That's good. So, yeah, but they are starting to lose their players, right? So, yeah, so it, it feels like time is ticking on Brad Arthur, unfortunately, even though his performances isn't like, you know, uh, Holbrook's or, or Maguire's, right? You know, where they're sort of finishing at the bottom. So I think there's a lot of tough decisions to be made till, till the end of the season. Um Look, they're the team. They're the only team to beat the Storm and Panthers this season, right? So the thing is, um, they they've just got to get into the top four. The problem is, they just have I don't know what it is a mentality situation. Um, you know, when they're playing teams below them, um, uh, you know, they do slump. Uh, I, I find mid-season they always they seem to be really sharp at the start of the season, don't they? Then they seem to have a bit of a purple patch in the middle of the season, and then they do turn it around. Well, the last few years that they have sort of turned it around towards the final rounds. So there is a, a there is a mid-season pattern with them a little bit, and I'm not sure how. I, I don't know if they even think about it, right? Talk about. It. I'm I'm sure they must, right? And figure out what what is it that's actually holding them back? Because you know, on their day, they they could beat anybody, but they just I don't know. They just seem to lack something. So you know, so so the question is though, like, look, I suppose Maguire is available now, but you know, his recent, you know, obviously the way the whole sacking went down, I don't know if 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 Paramount is going to jump the gun on a Maguire. Do you bring in a Shane Flanagan, you know, a Premiership winner, or a you know, or a uh, Paul Green, you know? Um, you know, or, you know, let's even go more left field, you know, why don't we bring in a rookie coach, like a, a Neil Piccinelli from the Illawarra Steelers, you know, um, Dean Schifoletti, right? Cameron Seraldo, his <laughs> name has been, <laughs> he's come out of the clouds to be of the, of the most sought after coach. Yeah. Look, I, I think at the end of the day, it is a risk to go for a, a coach that's not you know, not um, not had runs on the board, so to speak. Uh, I think you need someone that's proven that they can win. Maguire has proven he can win here and in the UK. Um, but he's got a, you know, like we've talked about before, he's not a development coach. He is the coach that gets the high-performing players to perform to their potential when it counts. Mm. And I think that's what we need. And that's purely the reason why I think he should be you know, the first coach uh, looked at. Uh, but I, as I said, I think at the end of the year, I think Brad Arthur's probably done enough in his history at the Eels to be given that kind of respect that he's got that chance to see the season out and make the most of it rather than abruptly calling it to an end, which I think is would be unfair. So, but I think having said that, like I said, it's still a bit tough to say this is going to be your final season and he needs to be told sooner rather than later because I think, uh, you know, he needs to put some effort into changing things because I think one of the other things that I see as an Eels fan is the same old excuses come out in the post-match press conferences, 
you know, the seeming lack of self-awareness about what's going on and what to do. Um, he picks the same players continuously who are liabilities in defence and doesn't try and change anything up. And I think fans are sick of it. And mm. and I think that's the thing. You will see a lot of uh, vitriol online about Brad Arthur's competence in uh, as a first-rate, uh, first-grade coach um, and NRL coach level. And I think... Um, you know, you can't blame people for being upset uh, when mm. when you don't really get any clarity from him about what went wrong. You saw, for instance, the same kind of vitriol, and I'll just finish it here, same kind of vitriol against Brad Fittler uh, after game one. You know, a lot of people were saying in the State of Origin this year that, you know, Billy Slater schooled him and, and Brad Fittler's a dunce of a coach, etc. completely forgetting that he has turned around the Blues in the last four years. Like, it's it's his coaching that has led to us being dominant. You know, we've won four out of the last five or whatever it is, something like that. Um, and, you know, and uh, what was his uh, comment after game one about what went wrong? He straight away said, we we, uh, we lost the game in the ruck. Um, they allowed us to slow the game down too much. They got away with it. We didn't win it. We lost our momentum. Everything else fell apart, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of people were saying, what are you talking about? There were so many other things going wrong, blah, blah, blah. What got rectified in game two was the ruck. We won the ruck. And, you know, all that commentary before around Damien Cook coming on and providing the speed. It was all about the ruck. Trebojevic came in. Mm. He won the ruck. You know, he he managed to play such a game that he hardly gave away any penalties, whereas people were saying, you know, don't pick him for origin because he keeps giving away penalties as a manly player. Well, he didn't do that at all in origin. In fact, he was quite the opposite. So, you know, Brad Fittler nailed it immediately after game one about what went wrong and he was very public about it this is where we lost this is what we've got to fix and on top of that probably had a, an ear in nathan cleary's uh, a word to nathan cleary's ear about you know you need to come out publicly and say that you are partly responsible for what happened and that you'll take more responsibility and be more accountable and that's what he did and then he turned in a blinder man of the match performance in game two and again you know, do we as Eels fans see anything like that from Brad Arthur when we lose games like uh, we did against Souths on the weekend? Not really. We don't see any self-awareness. Uh, and that this is what you'll you'll see a lot of this online, but people saying this is what's what's happening. And, and some of that may be justified. So, look, mm. at the end of the day, I think um, I think Brad Arthur has done so much for the club that he needs to be given a chance uh, he needs to be given, let's just say, one last throw of the dice this year. Because, uh, but I think he need, his time needs to come to an end. We need to start a new era. Uh, because, yeah, there's going to be changes anyway to personnel. Uh, so you, we may as well sort of look. Obviously, Brad Arthur's had a few opportunities and has failed to convert those top eight finishes and top four finishes to even a grand final appearance. And so, and that's why I think. Yeah, some changes need to be made, put it that way. And I'll end my rant there because I know we've got to continue on. But Tish, let's just move on to tackle number five. Here we go. All right, 
bit of a change of pace, a bit of a news item. The Australian Rugby League Commission is uh, is now is now stretching into into uh, real estate. <laughs> it has purchased <laughs> it has purchased the iconic Gambaro Hotel and Restaurant uh, for I think it's. Uh, for more than $25 million. It plans to turn it into a football-themed venue. It is in Brisbane. It's an iconic – it's called a Gambaro Hotel and Restaurant. It's a family-owned and run um, restaurant and hotel. And the commission has stated that it is part of its uh, efforts to strengthen the game's financial position and acquire assets that, quote, protect the game and provide new revenues for reinvestment in the game. So the hotel – uh, will be rebranded as the NRL. I don't know what that means, but and be themed with rooms named after the game's legendary players. Mm. And it's uh, on the famous Caxton Street strip. Uh, and uh, let's see if there's any other quotes here. Yeah. The Mitchell Pierce nightclub. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the um. Oh my goodness! I, I could say a few things. I'm not going to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who was um? Oh, anyway, I forgot. There was a there was a player that won. Anyway, let's not go there. Um, yeah, look. Uh, so yeah, it's an ideal location. It's three hundred meters from, as I said, the spiritual home of rugby league, Suncorp Stadium. And part of the reason why they've done this is obviously the venue right now hosts uh, all of the Brisbane Broncos. Uh, well, the Suncorp Stadium hosts Brisbane Broncos home games, but from Next year, we'll host eight Dolphins home games. And so the opportunities are there for, obviously, tourism and and to, to build on the fact that there are games very regularly there at Suncorp Stadium. So if anything, this is a – look, I think this is a very smart move. The Gambaro mm. family will still be involved to operate the premises they've been doing for 60 years. Uh, obviously, the rebranding, et cetera, is – to take advantage of the NRL branding as well. I think this is a great idea. There's a, a little bit more there that I could go into, but um, look, what do you think the NRL getting into real estate, getting into, you know, property, mm. the, the NRL property group, uh, <laughs> potentially. Um, right. I think this is a great idea because yeah. I think, and I think maybe this is a start of eventually they'll start getting into owning their bloody stadiums. Because yeah. that would be ideal. Um, yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I think it's about time, right? You know, like we had the perfect opportunity when Meriton Apartments was ho- was <laughs> sponsoring the West Tigers, right? But um, you know, but but now we decided to get into real estate after all this time. And um, look, Doctor T, maybe because I've watched too many um, you know, series on Netflix, I always feel like a hotel is a money laundering exercise. So I wasn't sure if 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 this was like uh, you know a great investment. Nudge, nudge. We need to launder some money, which I was kind of a bit concerned about. To be oh, honest, God, that's a bit of a <laughs> <laughs> like. So I wasn't hundred percent. Let's not go into that. That's... So, but look, I've been watching too much crime dramas. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Too but, much um... underbelly. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, yeah. But look, um, I think yeah, it was a bit scary during the whole pandemic when they were saying that look, we don't really the, the NRL doesn't have any assets, right? I think PVL when he's coming, he, he, you know, he was sort of like, you know, we need, 
we need to have sort of non-rugby league revenues um, coming in. We need to buy assets. We need to do, um, you know, we need to sort of, you know, the future of the game is going to come down to how, you know, financially viable we, we keep it. And I think this is a good move. This is a good first step. Um, yes, it's probably long overdue, but I think it makes sense. Um, you know that 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 we do something like this. I think the venue, the location, the opportunity. I don't know how strategic it was. I, I feel like it's something that would have come up, and it just became a good opportunity, so they went and did it. And let's hope this is the start of many positive. Um, you know, uh, investments that the NRL is making, uh, and um, you know. Uh, like, let's see where they go. And, yeah, hopefully 10 years' time down track, maybe we could have a chain of NRL shops, the, you know, sorry, NRL hotels, you know, NRL hotel, you know, um, you know, uh, in Barangaroo maybe. I don't know. Like, you know, like grand locations. I think it would be fantastic if we could sort of make that happen. And, yeah, and maybe, like, I know the AFL owns Marvel Stadium, for example. I mean, it would be good if we did own our own stadium down the track, right? You know, the... uh you know, uh, that then we just sort of get rid of all the different um, issues that we have around renting out venues all the time. So, yeah, let's let's hope that this is uh, the start of a of a new financially prudent um, NRL um, you know entity. Um, Look, the only thing I think the the I completely agree. My final comment is, I think the next step for the NRL after it conquers real estate and property groups. Is uh is to own the mint and to mint the famous PVL commemorative coin. Yes, one side and on the other side the Queen of England. Mm. I think this is where it's all headed, Tish. It's all a stepping stone. Yeah, to ultimate PVL dominance of the financial market. I like it, Doctor T. <laughs> all right, let's go on to our final tackle. The tips. Here we go. So last week uh, was uh, not so successful for me, a bit more successful for you. I got four out of eight. You got five out of eight. Bring in your total to 93, mine to 92. And this week what we're going to do in light of the fact that we've got a State of Origin game as well, and uh, we, what we'll do is we'll, we'll do the tips for the next two NRL rounds plus the State of Origin and then when we come back after a 10-day hiatus or, or so, we are going to do a big review of State of Origin Game 3 and the entire series. So look forward to that. And uh, so, yeah, Tish, let's launch into it. Let's start with the obvious one, State of Origin Game 3. Give me your tip and a score. Okay, I think New South Wales Blues by 24 points to 22. Oh, a two-point win. Well, Tisha, I'm going for Blues 32 <laughs> to 16. Whoa. 16 it's going to be a big point. one. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right, let's move on to our the, the immediate round. This is the pre-State of Origin round. So keep that in mind, round 17. Uh, so we have – here we have the uh, the Sharks versus the Storm. And what what's your view on that? I'm going to tip. Well, this is Sharknado, isn't it? I'm going to tip the Storm. 
All right. I am tipping. This is going to be an interesting one, though, because they're going to be missing Storm players. So I'm going to go for the Sharks on this one. All right. Knights versus Rabbitohs. I'm tipping the Rabbitohs. Yeah, I'm going to tip the Rabbitohs in this one as well. Eels v Tigers. You know, after all that, the Eels are going to win this one. <laughs> okay. Look, I'm going to have to go for the Tigers. This is a good time to play the Eels. So Tigers for mine. And uh, like I said, it was a it's a pre-origin. So there's only four games. The last one is Broncos v Dragons. Um, interesting one. I think the Broncos will win this one. Yeah, I think only because they were playing at home, I'm going to tip the Broncos. But, um, yeah, the Dragons have been in form and the Broncos have been playing well. All right. So the next round, round 18, we're going to just launch straight into it. Uh, it will be a full round. So keep it in mind, the games will start on a Friday rather than a Thursday. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and it's going to be a full round as well. Uh, so... Think about who's going to be backing up after Origin, what kind of a game it's going to be. Cowboys versus Sharks. And I think, look, the Cowboys have impressed me this year. I don't think I expected them to make the the top eight, but they're going to be, you know, they're virtually top four contenders uh, now, right now. So I think the Cowboys will win that one. Yeah, I'm going to tip the Sharks because I think the Cowboys have got more players backing up from Origin. Right, the Eels and the Warriors. uh, I think the Eels should win this one. Yeah, I'm tipping the Eels as well. Um, hopefully, uh, a form reversal. Roosters and Dragons at Central Coast Stadium on Saturday afternoon, the 16th of July. Very, very weird. But look, I think the Roosters uh, will win that one. Yeah, I'm going to tip the Dragons um, to take this one out. Manly versus the Knights. So this is a... You know, somewhat of a derby there, uh, mm. and I think Manly will win this one. Yeah, I'm going to tip Manly as well, even though, no, the, yeah, this is their home game, so Manly for mine. All right, Titans versus Broncos. Um, so another derby for the Broncos, but I think the Broncos will win this one. Yeah, look, I think um, the Broncos as well. I think Justin Holbrook's um, season is probably going to get bad to worse, actually. Yeah. <laughs> The Battle of the Big Cats, Tigers versus Panthers. Um, look, backing up from a State of Origin Game 3 victory, I think the Panthers will be on a high, and I think uh, the Tigers will not get anywhere near them, unfortunately. Yeah, look, this could be first versus last by the time this game goes around. <laughs> so I'm going to tip the Panthers um, to unfortunately beat my team, the Tigers. All right, Storm versus Raiders. Um Look, who knows? I think the – look, I'm expecting the Queensland contingent of the Storm will receive a bit of a battering. Maybe, maybe Ricky Stewart's Raiders will cause an upset, and that's what I'm predicting. Um, yeah, look, I am going to tip the Storm. I just think the Raiders have been a bit too up and down for me to sort of back them consistently. Finally, the Bulldogs and Rabbitohs. Uh, on the Sunday evening game on the 17th of July at Stadium Australia, I think the Rabbitohs will, uh, you know, with the Mitchell not being partaking at all uh, in the Origin Series, I think they'll be fresh and they'll be uh, ready to go against the Bulldogs. Uh, I wonder how Josh Adokai will play. Yeah, look, I think um, it's going to be a big game, but I'm going to tip the Rabbitohs. I think 
they look like a completely different team with Latrell there. And I think he, um, the fact that he's focused on the Rabbitohs this year, I think is going to mean hopefully better performances from their whole team. All right. And that's it. That's the tips all the way through to round 18. Tish, it's been an epic one today. There is a big, big game coming up. State of Origin Game 3, of course. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to everyone uh, joining us next time as we uh, review that game and uh, and look back on the series in its entirety as well. But Tish, I'll leave this to you to wrap this one up. Yeah, well, thank you, Dr. T, and I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Um, but that's all the time that we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.